Welcome to the Living a Naturally Healthy Life podcast with Delane ND, the podcast for people looking to correct chronic illnesses such as diabetes through lifestyle change. I'm Dr. Delane Vaughn. As a physician, I see many patients who are ill because of lifestyle decisions such as food choices. Typically, diseases such as diabetes are managed with pills or injections. This approach creates a vicious, expensive, and unhealthy cycle of medication and then more medication to address the negative side effects. As a physician and a life coach, I work with clients to resolve their diseases, get off their medications, and live a naturally healthy life. If you don't like the healthcare system in America, I recommend you use less of it by being naturally healthy. So if you feel there has to be a better, more natural way to live a healthy life, you are in the right place. Hello, welcome to the podcast. You're listening to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. I am your host, Dr. Delane Vaughn. If you are looking for strategies to live a naturally healthy life, this is the right place. This is episode number 118, and today we are going to talk about self-care. But before we get started, I want to talk about a couple things. One, I just realized that I was just listening to the intro because I'm starting to put the podcast together a little differently than I've done in the past, and that it's time for an intro redo. We're going to be redoing the intro. So that's going to be happening sooner than later. Something to look forward to, kind of a revamp of the podcast. Before we dig into self-care, I do want to remind everybody of the five-day training seminar, the session coming up in November. This is an opportunity for folks to get five days of like what it looks like in my group, but for free. It's amazing and it's timed perfectly to get you prepped for the holidays. So if you want to make it through your holiday season without getting sicker with type 2 diabetes and maybe even getting healthier, these five days are going to be really important for you. If you're interested in this, you can go to my website, delanemd.com, and you can register there, or you can send me an email to delane at delanemd.com. And if you have any questions about it, certainly that's the time to ask, but that will be coming up November 15th through the 19th. So if you're interested, get in on it. All right, so let's talk about self-care. Super excited to do this. Actually, I just did this presentation for a group of um, home care and hospice nurses. It was absolutely amazing. It was really a fun time to have that opportunity to talk to people about this, especially people who really have been finding that they are giving, 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 giving so much, but not taking the time to take care of them. And I like to look at it as it's really, really hard to continue to fill others' water cups from your empty water pitcher. So that's kind of what self-care is about. So we are going to dig into this. So let's talk about what self-care is. I think that there's a lot of mixed information, at least my understanding of what self-care was before I really found coaching and kind of started looking at what I believed about things and how the world really works. I really truly believed a bottle of wine and a box of chocolates were self-care. And interestingly, there is a lot of literature out there about self-care. And when you look at actually the definitions in the literature, it has nothing to do with those kinds of things. And I think that's really interesting because I feel like I did a lot of studying about the human existence, like about human beings, our bodies, our minds, how we live before I found coaching. 
But what I will tell you is the literature and what it says about self-care is not what I thought or knew self-care to be. So I do want to talk about that. For me, like I said, self-care was good friends, good wine, and good food, right? But what the literature actually defines self-care is the process of maintaining health through health-promoting activities. So wine is not health-promoting, chocolate is not health-promoting, cigarettes aren't health-promoting, any of those things that I used, that like many people, I never smoke cigarettes, but lots of people would say like, oh, I'm, I need this cigarette or I need this food or whatever because I'm taking care of myself. Self-care as defined by scientific literature does not look like that. That's not what it is. Think about what you feel self-care is. I know for me, I feel like self-care is taking care of myself, like having a nice bath where I and I engage my parasympathetic system, my parasympathetic nervous system in order to lower all the stressors, the physiologic stressors in my body. Spending time in nature is huge for me for self-care. Journaling is huge for me for self-care. I will tell you, self-care for me is connecting with my family. So connecting with my grandson, connecting with my kids, loving on them. You know, meditation for me is self-care. But recognize this is not self-care for everybody, right? If you hate being outside, if you hate the act of hiking in nature, clearly going for a long hike in the mountains may not be the thing that's going to feel like self-care for you. So getting really curious about what are those things that meet those standards of maintaining health through health-promoting activities. What are they for you? Then think about the things that get in the way because that's really the obstacle you have to overcome. So, you know, appointments on your calendar, work commitments, family responsibilities, all of these things are the things that take away from your ability to enact self-care behaviors. Getting curious about what those are because it is really important to figure out how to overcome those obstacles. So let's talk more about the literature. The literature talks about the benefits of the effects of self-care on the human being. So it includes a improved sense of well-being, but in addition to to the sense of well-being, self-care also has a beneficial effect of a lower morbidity, so that's disease. Morbidity is the presence of disease, a lower mortality rate, and mortality is the presence of death, and then lower healthcare costs. We know that self-care behaviors actually lower disease, lower death, and lower healthcare costs. What the literature says we struggle with in implementing self-care is habit formation is one of the big things that we struggle to develop, different habits and different behaviors. Resilience of self-care behaviors in the face of stressful life events that that will interfere with those activities. Cultural influence on self-care choices is a struggle for folks to implement long-standing changes as far as implementing self-care behaviors. Effects of chronic health conditions on your ability to perform self-care behaviors and self-care activities. It's really interesting and it kind of makes sense. If you have COPD and you're busy having to use inhalers multiple times a day that can take, you know, 5 to 15 minutes depending on what you're using, you know, maybe you don't have time to sit and do these self-care activities. Or maybe if you have COPD, getting into a hot, humid bath might actually 
trigger your COPD symptoms and that might not be available to you. If you have coronary artery disease and you get really winded with activity, clearly spending time in nature may not be available to you. So the effects of our chronic health conditions on our ability to perform self-care activities are definitely obstacles to performing those and struggles, things that we need to figure out as far as implementing that, right? Like these, these are the things that we need to overcome to implement a strategic self-care habit. So other things, mental health issues on self-care activities, right? It's really hard to sit and do meditation that's going to help lower your stress. When you are so depressed, you can't get up during the day or you're experiencing so much anxiety that you can't allow your body to calm. And then lastly, one of the obstacles to implementing self-care that was found in the literature was the influence of our family and friends on self-care activities. So I see this, right? I meditate almost every morning, but I know the majority of my friends don't. So if I'm going out of town with my friends and we're all staying in a hotel room, I'm the weirdo getting up and doing 10 minutes of meditation in the morning. Or I bring my meditation pillow and people are like, well, that, what's that for? Well, it's for me to sit and meditate in the morning. So the influence of others can certainly be an obstacle on our ability to perform self-care activities. And again, that was found in a study, um, a literature review done by the uh, International Journal of Nursing Studies in 2019. They found that these were the things that we really needed to work on, the obstacles that really needed to be overcome to implement quality self-care behaviors for most people. So... We all have stress, right? Stress is unavoidable. It's not all of it's bad, but it's definitely a disruption in the homeostasis of our body that comes from, it's the result of real or perceived threats, and it sets off this cascade of, be, of responses, right? The autonomic nervous system is called into action. The endocrine uh, system is uh, triggered. The immune system gets um, impacted. The cardiopulmonary system gets affected. And then our energy production mechanisms in the body also get affected. You can have eustress. That's E-U. S-T-R-E-S-S, that's the stress that leads to improved performance. So if you see professional football players, they experience stress before a game, but the kind of stress that leads to improved performance versus distress, which is the other kind of stress, and it's associated with poor performance and negative health consequences. So stress management is a huge self-care strategy that we need to learn. So what are the stress management recommendations? One, identifying stressors. Two, getting adequate rest, sleep. Um, Three, developing time management strategies. Four, developing a a healthy eating strategy or healthy eating plan. And then lastly, establishing a good support network. So identifying stressors seems straightforward. I certainly promote for folks to, my clients, to journal. This allows you to name and kind of take inventory of your stresses. I also encourage linguistic space, and I've done a podcast on this, but this is the strategy of saying what you're experiencing versus defining yourself as the experience. So I am having anxiety or I'm experiencing anxiety versus defining yourself as an anxious person. When you can say you're experiencing an emotion or a stressor versus you are that, that actually gives you some space. One We all know in our brain that if we're experiencing something, that it will likely pass, right? I'm experiencing a vacation. Yeah, the vacation's going to pass in five, six, seven days, right? I am experiencing 
the flu. <laughs> yeah, the flu is going to pass here before long. You're not, you understand that it's not forever. When we say I'm experiencing anxiety, we're able to separate that experience from being a forever thing versus saying I'm an anxious person. That's linguistic space and it's really important when we're identifying our stressors to say what our experience is versus defining ourselves as that experience. So the other important part of identifying stressors is really eliminating stressors where possible. So this isn't as straightforward because usually if you can eliminate a stressor, you've already done that. We don't need to go through a step. But what I like to ask on this is when I am taking inventory through journaling of the things that are stressing me out, deciding whether I like it, whether I like the reason that I'm doing whatever it is. So if I have a commitment to my kids' school and it's causing me time stress, right? Like I don't have enough time and that stresses me out. I've got too much to do. I feel overwhelmed, all the things. Then I have to ask myself, do I like the reason that I'm doing this thing at the kids' school, at my children's school? Because if the answer is no, if I'm doing it to people please a teacher or to impress somebody or so that somebody in my life doesn't think badly about me, if that's the reason that I'm doing it, that is not going to feel authentic to me. Like I don't want to do things for that reason. Either I want to do it or I don't want to do it. But I don't want to do it for somebody to like me. What I know is if I'm doing something that I don't really want to do to make another person think that I do want to do it, that's like false. If they like me because they think I want to be involved in the school in a certain way and I know I don't, I understand that they don't really like the true version of me. So that is one area where... Taking inventory and seeing what you can eliminate based on what you do or don't want to be doing is probably pretty helpful when you're identifying stressors. Sleep is really important. Um, I've done podcasts on sleep before, so find them. But certainly sleep hygiene, consistency is king, avoiding caffeine, avoiding alcohol, avoiding lights, having a typical um sleep, like a pre-sleep routine, you know, floss my teeth, a brush my teeth, a wash my face, or read a book, or go to bed, right? Like having a very consistent sleep routine is king to getting quality sleep. The older we get, the more we have to protect our sleep. We really need seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. We rotate through five different 90-minute sleep cycles in that time. What happens in sleep cycle one, two, three, four, and five is different, What's happening in one, what's happening in four are totally different. And you can't get to sleep cycle four until you've gone to through one, two, and three. So recognizing that really you actually need that seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. And it's really important to give yourself the opportunity to have that sleep. Time management strategies is really, really important because we all think I don't have enough time, right? And then we feel really overwhelmed and then we do all these graspy things and, you know, nothing's really an adequate functional behavior that we're doing to get results that we want. So what I want to offer everybody is that time is a circumstance. So everybody knows that I teach the thought model. Thought model has circumstances. We have thoughts about the circumstances. Those thoughts create feelings. Those feelings are what drive our actions, and those actions give us our results. Time is a circumstance. We all have 24 hours in a day. Everybody has the same amount of time. There are people out there who have a lot in their schedules, but they get it all done, and then there are people who don't. 
you kind of have to decide who you are. Where are you on that? If you're the kind of person that's not getting everything done and you want to be getting it done, then you need to figure out why. So I think one of the most useful strategies for figuring out why you're not able to get the things that you want to get done completed during the day is to take two or three days and look at everything that you're doing every 15 minutes. I know it sounds really drastic and a total pain in the rear to do this, but it is so beneficial to take your day and look at 15 minute increments and look at where you are spending time. If you are spending 10 minutes on Facebook four or five or six times a day, you've lost an hour of your day. And that's fine if Facebook is a value, something you love, something you want in your life, that's totally fine. But if it's not, and you really value exercise, you really value self-care, you really value time spent with your family, and instead you're kind of losing it to these little steals of Facebook, that's something you're going to want to know, right? And decide whether that's really in alignment with the values and the things you want to be doing. If it does, awesome. Then maybe you need to learn some strategies for batching things together so you can be more efficient. Totally possible. But what most people find when they do this 15-minute increment exercise is that they're spending a lot of time doing things that aren't really that important to them. And they're, you know, 10 minutes on Instagram here, 10 minutes on Facebook there. Those sorts of time segments add up, right? And suddenly, like, the time that you don't, quote unquote, have to devote to self-care, if we were removing that that um, wasted time or that time that we lose on these things that don't really align with the, the things that are important to us, like, We're spending time on Facebook and that's not really where we want to be spending the time. And we're doing that for 40 to 60 minutes a day. That is 40 to 60 minutes that you could devote to doing something that is important to you. So that's a really helpful strategy to see where your time's slipping away to. Healthy eating. You guys know this is my jam. This is what I do, right? Like developing a food plan with high quality healthy foods is one of the most important things you can do. Food, quality food is the fuel that you need to do the important work that you're doing. But recognize quality healthy food also keeps your dopamine levels normal. I did a a podcast on dopamine, I don't know, three or four weeks ago talking about the dopamine dumps and how dopamine is this hormone of motivation. And when we eat these highly processed foods, it actually causes that hormone to be all released at once. And we don't have available to us the amount of hormone that kind of keeps a baseline level in our system so that we can get things done. So when we're eating these highly processed foods in order to manage stress or anxiety or frustration with work, or the fact that we're not able to take care of ourselves the way we want to, when we're eating this food instead of doing those things, then what ends up happening is we get this lowering of our dopamine level and this lowering of our motivation, in addition to all the health, the negative health effects of eating these highly processed foods. So a healthy eating plan is really, really imperative to making sure that you are taking good quality care of yourself. And then lastly, a support network. I think a support network is so important to have a trusted group of people that you can turn to. But what I do want to offer is if you are in a super high stress position like at work or there's a lot of stuff going on in your personal life and you're having a lot of stress with that, don't turn to people that will commiserate with you. That's not going to help you. That's just going to add to your stress. Finding a trusted group of people or a support network that you can 
share your experience with, and they can give you maybe a twist on your perspective, showing you what else is there, that it's not all doom and gloom. It's going to be far more effective in self-care and taking care of you and managing your perspective of the stressors going on in your life. So recognize you don't want to just have people who are going to, you know, tell you, yeah, it's awful, it's awful. That's probably not going to be horribly helpful for you. So health-promoting activities are going to be things, again, like healthy eating, sleeping. We've talked about those things. Exercise is something that's really important. I'm going to talk about that. Meditation, um, inviting pleasure into your life, and then, again, journaling. So recognize that exercise actually, you know, we know it decreases mortality and morbidity, so death and disease. But in addition, it burns off some of these stress-related hormones and neurotransmitters that are produced by the sympathetic nervous system and the endocrine system during stress, right? So if you think about it, 10,000 years ago, our ancestors did not deal with the effects of chronic stress because all of their stress was acute stress, right? There was no boss nagging at them. There weren't bills coming in that they weren't expecting. The biology that goes along with bills and nagging bosses is the same as the acute stress that goes along with being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. The difference is, is when you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, you're actually dissipating, you're releasing, you're burning through all of these hormones that are released by your sympathetic nervous system that drive your blood pressure up and drive your heart rate up and drive your respiratory rate up. When you're not having that big exercise component, the running from the saber tooth, you're just having those effects on your blood pressure and your heart rate and your respiratory rate, but no real way to burn that off or dissipate it. Exercise is one way that you can do that. So that is definitely a beneficial way to deal with stress. So it's a good self-care strategy. Meditation is another way. Any kind of meditation. So this typically involves breathing. When we breathe, we actually engage our vagal nerve, our vagus nerve. Our vagus nerve is a parasympathetic nerve. That's one of its roles, but it, it triggers our parasympathetic nervous system. So our parasympathetic nervous system, where our sympathetic nervous system that I was just talking about is kind of your fight and flight nervous system. It is the stress nervous system. It is the system, the nervous system that's triggered when we're stressed. The parasympathetic is the opposite. It is our rest and relax. It's like rest, digest, and relax nervous system. It wants to just chill and take a minute. So when we're doing meditation or any other, even like moving meditations like yoga or tai chi, we're taking deep breaths with our diaphragm and that movement actually triggers and stimulates that parasympathetic nervous system and increases that rest and relaxation biology in our body. So meditation is definitely another way that we can have self-care behaviors in our life. And I like meditation because it's kind of easy. You can do it in 10 minutes. I mean, you can spend two hours doing it a day, but really it can just be a 10 minute practice every day and you get the benefits of that. Finding a way to get vitamin P, I call this vitamin P or pleasure, into our life. We've narrowed as Americans where we get pleasure from. We get pleasure from a bottle of wine. We get pleasure from food for the most part. I think some people like also will recognize we get pleasure from sex, right? But there's all sorts of places that we can get pleasure from. Having fun with our family, going out and doing something fun with our family, being connected with people we love, bringing fun into our life, happiness into our life, pleasantness into our life, excitement, enjoyment, all of these things are pleasure. This is vitamin P. How do we get these things into our life in a way that, again, promotes health, doesn't detract from our health? That then becomes a self-care activity. 
journaling, you know I promote this, the thought model, all of this. But recognize when we take the time to get our thoughts out of our brain and onto paper, they actually become real. Literally, they go from being this ethereal, nebulous thing in your brain to being something you can actually hold in your hand on a piece of paper because you wrote it down. So journaling is a very effective way to manage your stress and and it's an effective self-care behavior in your day-to-day life because it really creates reality to what your experience is. So journaling is another strategy. The thought model is definitely helpful. And if you aren't sure what that means, check out old podcasts because I have a lot of different podcasts about thought modeling and how that works. Lastly, let's talk about implementing all these things, right? Because not only am I super stressed out because I have to be at work and my kids need me here and there's not enough time, right? Like these are all the things we just talked about, right? These thoughts that are creating the stressor in our life and then this feeling like I don't have enough time, this time management component. And of course, we're eating junk and so we feel bad. And in addition to that, oh, by the way, my blood sugars are up. All of this gives this feeling to us that we can't do it. Like I can't take the time to meditate. Nobody got time for that, right? We have this belief that the implementation of these self-care behaviors is outside of our reach. So what I want to offer to you is the importance of advocating for your needs from a place of authenticity. Again, you know, the school calls me to ask me if I'm going to be involved with X, Y, or Z. If I tell the teacher at the school that, yeah, I'm going to totally do that because I want them to like me, that's not authentic because I just told them a lie that I'm okay doing that, that I want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's not true. That's a lie. And now I believe that they like me because of a lie. So being authentic in what you need for your experience so that you can have the peace in your body so that you can do the self-care that you need to do. Again, it's hard to fill somebody else's glass when your pitcher is empty. Doing this, implementing these strategies from a place of authenticity, knowing it's what you need and it's what you want to do, is imperative to having good self-care, to having a good self-care practice. So recognize nobody else is going to do this for you because it's not their job to do this for you. It's not their job to ask for what you need. That's our responsibility. My job is to ask what I need. Your job is to ask for what you need. Their job is to ask for what they need. That's how it works. We can't expect somebody else to do it. So from a space of authenticity, I really need this so I can be the best version of me. Asking for what you need in order to implement these self-care behaviors is really important. And then remember, this isn't all or none, right? It's really easy to fall into the zero-sum game. It's all or none either. This looks like two ways, right? Like it's all or none. Either I need to do an hour of meditation and an hour of workout and an hour of food prep and all. And if I can't do it, if I can't do all four hours of those, I'm just not going to do any, right? It's easy to fall into that. Recognize even 10 minutes of exercise where you get sweaty helps to burn off your cortisol. Even like they say one breath of meditation. I don't know that I could do one breath of meditation just because I wouldn't feel like it's really meditating because it takes me a minute to calm my mind. But they say that even one breath of meditation, and it's true probably, one deep breath that stimulates your diaphragm and triggers your vagus nerve probably does create the parasympathetic turn on, the paras- what we call increasing the parasympathetic tone so that you feel more calm. It probably does work that way. 
But recognizing there are all these small steps, these little itty bitty things. It doesn't have to be this big, huge thing. It does not have to be this all or none experience. And recognizing that along with this comes a zero sum game, right? Like there's only so much care that can go on in the world. And if I'm taking care of these people, then I can't care for me. I would offer that that's not true. Just because you're taking care of you does not mean that there's not enough for you to take care of others. I would offer that it actually means there's more for you to take care of others. So if you have any questions about this, definitely make sure you holler at me. These are the strategies that we learn, right? Especially like when it comes down to, we have been looking to M&Ms and food, that was me, right? M&Ms and food to create the feeling of self-care. And the realization that that isn't truly even self-care, but that there are so many different ways to have a self-care practice that doesn't make you sick with type 2 diabetes, that's the stuff we work on in my program. So if that's something you feel like you need help with, if this is part of what you need help with, or if you're just ready to kick this diabetes thing to the curb, send me a message, delane at delanemd.com. We'll set up time for a consult and you'll see how my program can help you. That is what I've got for you this week. I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Also, leave me a review. If you want to resolve your diabetes naturally without any pills or injections, I can help you. Visit DelaneMD.com for more information. Click on the Work With Me tab, send me a message, and we can set up a mini coaching session. You guys have a great week. I'll talk to you soon.